Hey guys, welcome to the Tales of Moxie podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Lee, and I'm so glad that you're here. I created this podcast with the simple desire of wanting women to have a place to share their stories. Our stories are so powerful, and God's fingerprints are evident throughout them all. So each week, I sit down with another woman who is brave enough to share her story with us. We talk all the things with no judgment. While each story is unique to the person telling it, I find that I see myself in all of them, and I'm sure that you will too. Welcome back to Tales of Moxie. This week's episode, I got to have the help of my sweet friend, Carolyn. You guys know her by now. She's helped me interview before, and we love her. She helped me this week interview Dr. Julie Slattery. She's an author and founder of Authentic Intimacy. We talked with Dr. Julie about her most recent book, Rethinking Sexuality, God's Design and Why It Matters. I know that a lot of my listeners are mommies just like us, and I need to say up front that this conversation about Christianity and sexuality was wonderfully challenging and life-giving, but probably not appropriate for kids. I know that this topic is rarely discussed in Christianity, and that's what makes it such an important conversation to have. So I pray that God uses this talk with Dr. Julie to open your mind and your heart to things that you might not have thought about before, or maybe you've thought of them, but you never had the words for them. I challenge you to be brave and self-reflective while listening to this talk. Dr. Julie makes it a safe place to do so. Hi, Julie. Welcome to Tales of Moxie podcast. We are so excited to have you here with us this morning. Thanks for being here. You got it. It's great to be with you. I wish I could be there in person in sunny California. <laughs> I know. We are sunny today, it too. Is. We've it's had beautiful. a lot of rain. finally sunny. Um, we are so excited to get to have this conversation with you because um, your latest book, Rethinking Sexuality, talks all about kind of a new perspective on our sexuality from a biblical perspective, um, which is so rarely talked about nowadays in our culture. So we're really excited to have this conversation, but I would love to kind of start by letting our listeners get acquainted with you a little bit and maybe how you got started on this journey of this being your work in Christianity. Yeah, sure. Well, it certainly wasn't something that I eagerly signed up for. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so uh, I came out of college, went right into grad school, became a clinical psychologist. And for the first, oh, maybe 15 years of my clinical work was more general. And uh, it was a lot of marriage and family, women's issues. And so sexuality was certainly a part of that, but it wasn't my focus. Uh, And speaking of focus, then I went out to focus on the family to work for that ministry in 2008 and was on the daily broadcast and just teaching through focus on the family again, more generally just on marriage and family things. And around 2011, God just really started to burden my heart for sexual issues, uh, sexual brokenness, just confusion, you know, just meeting so many women that had so many stories of pain around sexuality that were different, whether it be same-sex attraction or being single and really lonely or sexual abuse, uh, or my husband's looking at pornography or had an affair, you you name it. There are all these questions that women had around sexuality that they really didn't feel like there was anywhere safe to go uh, to get resources from a biblical perspective. So, um, so in 2012, uh, I started the ministry Authentic Intimacy with Linda Dillow, who is an older woman 
who's been ministering on the topic of sexuality for a while. And we just kind of jumped in by faith with both feet. And it has been uh, just uh, an amazing journey of, um, you know, just addressing the new things that are coming up in our culture and helping people navigate, you know, what does the Bible really say? And also helping the church uh, become more effective in the ways that we're addressing sexuality, because I don't know that we've ever been that effective. Mm-hmm. That's so true. So in rethinking sexuality, I'm just going to jump right in. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that you kind of talk about is making sure that we have the right perspective on this. What do you think that our culture is telling us currently as women about sexuality? Well, uh, our culture's message our narrative around sexuality is really based on a larger narrative. Um, we live today in a very humanistic culture where um, people are God, <laughs> basically. I mean, we don't say it like that, but we basically tell each other that you can find truth um, by looking at what you feel, what you believe, what you experience, and that your personal feelings and your truth is the truth. And everybody needs to respect that. And so you've got to understand that all of our, our uh, changes related to sexuality and culture came from changes related to that larger worldview. That, uh, that who am I to tell you what's right and wrong? Who is God even to tell you what's right and wrong? You know, you get to determine that for yourself. So we live in a, a post-Christian world where you are God. And so uh, the way we address sexual issues in today's world is an extension of that, where we basically tell each other that your sexuality is first and foremost a very important part of expressing who you are and how you connect to other people. And you get to determine uh, what's right for you related to your sexuality. And the worst thing somebody could possibly do is to get in the way of that self-expression. Uh, And so that's why we see, uh, you know, just an encouragement for people to explore sexually, experiment, you know, throw off whatever restraint they might have to find themselves and to find sexual freedom. I think within um, the church growing up, having gone to church, the the messages around sexuality were really basic and really limited. (laughs) And essentially I heard before marriage, just don't do anything. (laughs) And then once you're married, enjoy your husband and good luck. (laughs) And that was really the extent of teaching around sexuality. Um, And I love that part of your... um, your goal, your mission, I guess you could say, is to kind of redefine that and rethink about um, how sexuality relates to God and how we see God and who God is. And I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, for sure. So I just told you kind of briefly what I would call the cultural narrative about sexuality. Mm -hmm. And narrative is so important because it's the backdrop by which we understand life. Um, and so if the culture is telling you your sexual, your sexuality is primarily a personal expression uh, and it's a way to connect with people, what you're mentioning is what I call the, the purity narrative, which is sort of the traditional church narrative to help people understand their sexuality. And the purity narrative says that you are not to be, not only are you not to do anything sexually, you're not supposed to be sexual until you get married. And so don't have sexual drives or feelings. If you do, you got to kind of push those down with a lot of guilt and shame. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the goal is for you to keep yourself sexually pure until you get married. 
And if you can keep yourself sexually pure, you know, God is faithful. He's going to bring you an amazing husband and uh, he's going to meet all the requirements that you wrote mm -hmm. down on your youth group list of perfect <laughs> exactly. And you guys are going to get married and you're going to have great sex. So just hang in there. Hold on because it's coming. And uh, the problem with the purity narrative is, first of all, it's not true. Mm -hmm. uh, it, and I mean, it's not true. There are so many young women that have saved themselves quote unquote, for marriage, and they're still waiting for marriage, or they get married, and they find that marriage isn't what they thought it would be, or that mm -hmm. married sex isn't what they were told it was going to be. It's full of heartache and problems, and so they don't know where to go with that. But the purity narrative also isn't broad enough for our, us to understand things like singles and sexuality. You know, single people are sexual too. What's God's design for that? Mm -hmm. uh, or what about sexual abuse? You know, people that have been sexually abused carry a lot of shame around their sexuality and are more likely to act out sexually. And they, they just feel like, I don't even fit in God's plan for sexuality. Mm -hmm. I'm so broken that I don't even know what I'm shooting for anymore. Mm -hmm. um, LGBT conversations, what does the purity narrative say about that? And so what we're coming up against now, and I think this has always been the case, but more so today, the church does not have a compelling narrative to help people understand what they're experiencing. Uh, and so that's what rethinking sexuality is about is really going back to the scriptures and saying, what is God's heart for sexuality? And what is a narrative that helps us understand all of our experiences, not just, um, you know, the fairy tale romance of stay pure and then God's going to bring a husband. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking as someone listening to this who has been sexually abused, what is, and they're listening thinking, okay, so there is a narrative that God has and God does care about my sexuality. What does that actually look like? Is, could you give us a little idea of what that narrative actually is? Yeah. So it's a lot more difficult to understand than the purity narrative, which is why I think most Christians don't talk about it or even know it. But it starts with this idea that sexuality is, is first and foremost, before anything else, is a metaphor that God has given us to understand his love. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, if you look at creation, you see all these created things that the Bible tells us are supposed to be revealing who God is. So even something as simple as a tree, how many times in the Bible does the Bible refer to trees to help us understand being rooted by a stream of water and bearing fruit mm -hmm. and, you know, a dead tree gets cut down. And so there's this physical thing that helps us understand spiritual reality. And one of the greatest things that God has created to help us understand here on earth, a physical reality is sexuality and marriage. And so if you read the Bible, almost every time sex is mentioned, it's mentioned as a metaphor. Uh, you know, like you even think about um, in the Old Testament, for example, the prophets would say that the nation of Israel was being sexually unfaithful to God when they were worshiping other gods. They would call them like harlots or idolaters, even though, or not idolaters, I would say, even though they were just worshiping other gods, they weren't necessarily doing anything sexual. Mm -hmm. But the metaphor was God is married to you and you're called to be faithful to him and you're being unfaithful to him. And the way a husband feels when his wife cheats on him, that's how God's heart feels. Mm -hmm. um, so that's just one example. But all through scripture, we see that sexuality is supposed to be teaching us about God's covenant love. 
So it's this amazing metaphor, but that Satan constantly wants to attack this metaphor. Uh, He will do anything he can to separate you from the meaning of your sexuality, whether that's, uh, you know, convincing you to hook up with a bunch of guys, whether it's looking at pornography, whether it's having all kinds of sexual brokenness in your marriage, or if it's sexual abuse, Satan wants to destroy uh, uh, the whole expression of sexuality. And so I would tell somebody that has been abused, you know, you have been under attack. Your sexuality has been under attack by evil. And uh, it's not a haphazard thing. There is a spiritual war around sexuality. Um, and, and sexual abuse is one of the most horrific things we can experience because of how it distorts our understanding of love and of protection and covenant and vulnerability. And so God invites us on a healing journey to restore those things. Uh, and so the, the biblical narrative is all really about what God has created to be beautiful, what Satan and sin has, has tarnished, and what Jesus has come to redeem. One of the um, paradigm shifts that you talk about in your book is how we are all sexually broken. So whether that is from sexual abuse, like we've been talking about, or from pornography, those are the things that are obvious to us to see, oh yeah, that causes sexual brokenness. Um, but being taught this purity narrative that you've been describing, um, we were, I feel like I was basically told, well, if you stay pure until marriage, you are a virgin on your wedding night, and then you only have sex with your husband, then you're not sexually broken. Everything is, is fine, and you did it the right way. And as you described, <clears throat> you'll be then rewarded with this great sex life throughout your married life. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet that paradigm is, is wrong. That view is wrong. It is wrong um, for a lot of reasons. You know, first of all, I would say to the average woman who's believing that, like, how's that working for you? And, <laughs> Which is a great you know, question. <laughs> yeah. And most of us would say, hey, like I, I lived according to that narrative and mm-hmm. I can't tell you the level of brokenness that we've had, not just in our marriage, but in our family related to sexuality. And, and if I just believe that narrative, I'd be like, God, you didn't keep your promise. But we don't find that promise in the Bible. Even if it was given to us at youth group, we don't find it in the Bible. Uh, So the truth is that the fall and our sin nature has impacted every single one of us. Mm -hmm. And I've met so many women who were virgins when they got married, who um, maybe have painful intercourse or, uh, you know, struggle with lust or just can never enjoy sex. And they're like, this, you know, like this wasn't supposed to happen. And that's why if we go back to that biblical narrative and we realize that God has created something beautiful, it has been damaged in each one of us, sometimes because of our own choices and sometimes because of the choices of others and sometimes just because we have broken bodies. Uh, And so all of us have experienced the impact of sin in the fall. Uh, yeah, granted, some more than others. You know, I have friends who grew up being ritually abused, and um, you know, their brokenness is so much more profound than what I've experienced. But I think we've got to we've got to tear down the categories because I think that's a big part that keeps us from talking honestly about sex in the church. 
is if some people are broken and other people are whole, then I never want to admit where I'm broken because that brings a lot of shame. So, uh, so when we tear down the walls and we just say, you know, we all have stuff we're dealing with in this area and it's, we want church to be a safe place to talk really about what we're going through and to seek help together. Then all of a sudden we're the body of Christ instead of being put in problem groups to be fixed. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, um, even before the, you know, we're having this conversation at church, this can be a difficult conversation to have, even if you have waited to have even within your marriage. Um, How do you kind of suggest or advise couples to start talking about this if this is something that they haven't talked about really before? Yeah, well, I think first of all, acknowledging that we haven't talked about this, Uh, you know, just acknowledging that, hey, this has been an awkward conversation for us. And every time we talk about it, we either fight or we just sort of shut down. So that acknowledgement is big. And then realizing that you can't solve a problem if you can't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And you can't solve a problem if you can't pray about it together, which is mm-hmm. another thing couples rarely, if ever, do is just pray together about their sex life. Um, so a great place, again, to start is acknowledging that. But then I would say, and this is what my husband and I often do, is we find a resource to help us talk about sex. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll listen to a podcast like this together. Uh, we will go to a seminar that gives us some just teaching on the topic. We'll read a book together out loud so that we learn um, to say the words that we need to say without feeling awkward. It's like, I didn't say it, the author said it, but that's how I feel. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of breaks down some of that um, awkwardness of what do you call each other's body parts and mm-hmm. how do you describe feeling rejected sexually? And sometimes if uh, somebody else can say it first, it gives you words and you become comfortable having those conversations by yourself then over time. Mm, I love that. And I'm thinking too of maybe the Christian women that, since sex has not been talked about, they don't know that it's okay to enjoy this within marriage. How have you kind of seen that within the work that you do? Because I feel like that was one of the things when I got married that I really struggled with was I can enjoy this and it it doesn't say anything bad about me. In fact, God is enjoying the fact that I enjoy it. Um, Can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. And that was certainly something I struggled with, too. I think there's sort of an unspoken rule that it's okay for men to enjoy sex, Mm -hmm. but women are just supposed to help their men enjoy it. Yeah. And and they certainly aren't supposed to pursue enjoyment. If enjoyment just happens, then great. But it's not a godly pursuit to say, I want to have an orgasm Mm -hmm. or I want sex to be fun and pleasurable for me. Nobody says that. And so there are a lot of Christian women who are just kind of resolving themselves to, well, I guess this isn't going to be great. And, uh, and one thing that really challenged me personally that helped me realize that was I mentioned Linda Dillow. She has been a mentor for me. And so she began asking me questions about my marriage and, you know, how are things between you and your husband? I'm like, nobody asked that. That's a weird <laughs> question. Yeah. <laughs> But she asked me, you know, have you ever read Song of Solomon? And I've read it, um, but I said I didn't get a whole lot out of it because it's so poetic and 
I don't really get into the leaping deer. And, <laughs> and she's like, no, you really have to go back and read it again. And she gave me some ways to understand it, just some of the, the imagery that's used uh, in the Song of Solomon. But she specifically said, I want you to pay attention to what the wife does sexually. And so I went back and I reread it. And I noticed that the wife, like, initiated sex with her husband a lot. Um, that she fantasized about his naked body, um, mm-hmm. that she planned, you know, a, a sexual rendezvous in a vineyard. Mm-hmm. And she was having a lot of enjoyment sexually. And this is in the Bible. And this was written thousands of years ago. And then I started to realize that the Song of Solomon is the only book in the Bible that is, that is simply about a human relationship. Mm-hmm. Like every other book in the Bible has our relationship with God, God's relationship with his people. There is no book in the Bible that's just about parenting or just about employment relationships. This is the only book in the whole Bible that's just about human relationships. And it's about marriage and it's about sex. And it's about a woman and a man having a lot of fun in sex and God blessing it. And, uh, and so for me, that was like a real aha moment. Uh, you know, and then I started to look, for example, at First Corinthians chapter seven, which a lot of people refer to as the wifely duty passage. You know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about? <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. So, and I looked at First Corinthians seven again, and I realized that before it ever talks about a wifely duty, it says the husband has a duty to please his wife sexually, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of husbands just skip right over that because their wives are usually very complicated to figure out sexually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but God commands a husband, love your wife sexually, like awaken her and mm-hmm. study her and help her enjoy sex. And so putting a lot of those pieces together really helped me realize that, you know, I've been married for maybe 15 years and I had never seen it as a God honoring thing, not just to have sex with my husband, but to actually enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And that changed my perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, because sex, again, we talked a few minutes ago about how Satan keeps trying to destroy it and distort it. Well, he was distorting it in my marriage by making it a one-sided feast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to reclaim it and to really pursue God's design meant that's not what God intended. God intended for this to be something that both the husband and wife are pursuing and enjoying. I love that you brought up that verse from 1 Corinthians 7, because I can think of exactly two sermons total in my adult life that I heard on sexuality in marriage, um, both given by males, male pastors, and both referring to that verse and basically using it as um, women, you're not allowed to deprive your husbands, uh, because if you do, then they will look for that satisfaction outside of the marriage and it will be your fault. Oh, man. <laughs> and, and obviously it wasn't necessarily those exact words, but it was implied enough that that's the message I got was, yeah. okay, if I'm not keeping my man satisfied, he will look elsewhere and it will be my fault. Wow. Um, and it's such a, a painful thing to look back now and to realize that that's the message that was being given to wives everywhere. Um, so I love that you are kind of reclaiming that verse in the way that it's meant to be looked at, um, yeah. that we are meant to enjoy sex together, that it's a, a mutual 
a mutual enjoyment. <laughs> it's not yeah. just make sure you're fulfilling your partner um, because his needs are the most important. Um, yeah. But I think that that idea of um, one person in the marriage having a stronger sexual desire than the other is probably one of the biggest things that gets fought over in a marriage relationship. What kind of things do you recommend for couples who are experiencing that, whether it's the man or the woman who, you know, is, has more of a desire? Yeah. You know, the first thing is to go back again to the big picture of what sex is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I hate about how you explain that First Corinthians 7 has been taught is because it's so inconsistent with the bigger picture of what God calls us to. Mm -hmm. um, you know, marriage, again, is supposed to be this amazing metaphor of Christ and his church. When did Jesus Christ ever demand affection from the church? Mm -hmm. You know, when did he ever say, you better give me this or else? Mm -hmm. uh, and if you read Ephesians chapter 5, the exact opposite is true. Paul is saying, husbands, you know, love your wives as you love your own body and, and feed her and clothe her and take care of her and protect her and sanctify her, protect her from evil and nourish her. And that's true in the sexual relationship that a husband's love to his wife should be this nourishment uh, and protecting her sexually and guarding her and giving her a safe place to become awakened. And so when we talk about sexual differences or any obstacle, we've got to remember that God's heart for sex and marriage is not about taking or even just sacrificially giving all the time. It's about learning to be unified, learning to love each other as Christ and the church love each other. And so I actually believe that sexual differences, including differences in desire, are part of God's original design. Hmm that it's not like just because of the fall, we can't figure sex out. Mm -hmm. If you look at the way a female body was created versus a male body, we're different. Our hormones are different. We get aroused by different things. Our sexual prime comes at a different time of the month and different age and, and season in life. And this was God's design because it makes it impossible to have a great sex life and stay selfish. Mm -hmm. You have to, if you want a great sex life over 20, 30, 40 years, it is required of you that you become understanding, compassionate, sensitive, unselfish. You have to do it. You have to extend mercy. You have to listen. And so the first thing I would tell a couple that deals with, and every couple does, deals with difference in desire, is remember that God wants to use that difference to challenge you to love each other for sex, like to be this very tangible way that you're learning to really understand your, your spouse's needs and to meet those needs. And how you work that out, it looks different for each couple. Some couples will say, hey, let's compromise. Let's say if you want sex four times a week and I want it once a week, then let's do it twice a week. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a compromise. Some couples will just say like, hey, how about if like three times a week we'll do it, but two of those times it's really more a quickie to meet your need, but one time a week let's really feast on each other and enjoy it and have time. Um, so it's that sort of spirit of it's not that I'm right and you're wrong or you're being selfish and I'm the martyr. It's how can we build intimacy even through this obstacle 
of not wanting to have sex as often as my spouse does or vice versa. And that, that perspective changes everything. Mm-hmm. It does. I'm thinking about how, you know, you're talking almost as, as if when, we're, when we are in the act, then we are glorifying God. And I, I love that because I think as women, a lot of times we get into thinking, well, we'll meet this need, you know, and yes. we'll do our duty. And, and, you know, sometimes we'll do it, we'll do it happily. Like, you know, we, we will. Um, but we forget that that is actually something that God is saying, no, this glorifies me too. And I want to see you enjoy that. Um, yeah. And I'm wondering, and, you know, even listening to you, Carolyn, I'm thinking this conversation when it is had, it's often had by men, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I'm wondering how, as women, can we kind of help bring this conversation out into the light a little bit and, and what that would change for the topic of sexuality if women talked about it a little bit more? Yeah, I think it's, it's I've, I'm seeing it change. Just, um, you know, I used to only pretty much teach men or teach women about sexuality. And so all the conferences were for women and the books were written for women and our podcast was for women. And we noticed more and more men listening to the podcast, mm-hmm. emailing us. And now I would say probably 80% of my speaking requests are for men and women. Really? Uh, yeah, like nobody wants women's events or like our whole church needs this or will you mm-hmm. do a marriage conference? And consistently, consistently what I hear from men is this message sounds so different coming from a woman mm-hmm. and it helps me understand so much more. Uh, and so whether it's doing something formally like what, what we do in our ministry of publicly talking about sexuality or whether it's in small groups and more private conversations, there is a way to talk about sexuality without being graphic or provocative. Mm -hmm. Uh, And men need to hear from women, just like, you know, women have been taught about sex from men for eons, but it's never gone the other way. And so, you know, I think there's a real need for men to hear a woman's voice and not just about Me Too movement Mm-hmm. to hear about what women desire in terms of intimacy and what God created them sexually, uh, you know, how they're wired. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think I, I love hearing that because I'm thinking how um, even at the beginning of my marriage, I had moments where I would think I would just do, you know, do my duty as a wife. Um, and he would say, I, that doesn't, I don't like that. I, when you're not into it and I'm not knowing that you're enjoying it, then I just feel dirty about it myself. Like, I don't want to come and just take from you. And I love hearing you talk about how men are wanting you to have this conversation too, because I really do think that that is something that they're desiring, but it's not being offered or they're not thinking that this is a conversation that they can have with women. Um, Have you seen that? Have you seen that be the case that this is something that men are really saying, like, I, I need this too? Oh yeah, for sure. And what a great thing that God created men to not be fully satisfied unless they're satisfying their wife. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's like, I hear that all the time. Husbands will be like, it's just not as good if my wife isn't into it. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome that God created our men that way. It because is. it means that, again, they can't stay in selfishness. And, you know, even men that are, say, using porn or just even using their wife, um, uh, almost like a hookup. And that can happen in marriage. They're not satisfied sexually. 
Mm. And the deepest satisfaction comes from them being on this journey of discovering their wife's sexuality. And it is a discovery. Uh, for most women, it takes time to learn how her body responds and what feels good and what doesn't and to lose control. And most women don't just immediately have that. Some, some do, but most don't. And so it's this journey of discovery together. And that's what brings a man the greatest fulfillment. Yes, men are loving this conversation because they're hearing even the same topic or the same words just being spoken differently. Uh, and so, I, you know, it's pretty cool just to see what God is doing with that. Mm-hmm. So as you um, are kind of working to change the conversation around sexuality, Excuse me. Um, as you, as you work to change this conversation, um, I'm thinking about my kids. (laughs) I have a 13 year old daughter and a 10 year old son. So we are right on the brink of teenagerhood and Mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to talk to them in the best way possible about sexuality and Mm -hmm. trying to give them a message other than just don't do anything till you're married. (laughs) Like that purity, um, perspective that we've been talking about. Um, that even though that's an important aspect of it, that doesn't answer the whole question of what their sexuality is, why God gave it to them, um, why it is a gift from God, something that he created. Um, Mm -hmm. It doesn't answer all of those things that I'm wanting for them to know. Um, So I know you have kids as well, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm wondering how, what it's been like for you to kind of share with your kids and help them as we adjust this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm learning as I teach. And so my, my kids are 21, 20 and 16. And part of me wishes we could go back to when they were, you know, six and eight. And I knew what I knew today. Um, But a lot of it is continually teaching them that sex is linked to covenant. You know, that sex is about more than just sex, that is holy because it was created to teach us about God's love. Um, and that's why God says that it should be between a man and a woman in a covenant because he has a covenant with us. But I'd say the more profound teaching, um, and unfortunately this is the case for pretty much every parent nowadays, is when we encounter brokenness. And so you constantly want to be giving that vision of what wholeness looks like in your own marriage and in your own teaching telling them about what God's design for sex is, but every kid is going to encounter sexual brokenness. It's going to be in the culture where they're trying to make sense of, uh, you know, gay marriage or uh, a friend they have that is transitioning genders or, um, you know, divorce, a messy divorce and an affair. Uh, And for many of them, the research shows almost all of them, they're going to be exposed to pornography very young. Many of them will begin viewing pornography regularly. We are not smart enough to keep up with all of their tricks and devices. And, uh, and this is a story that I hear. It's a story that we've experienced with our own kids. And so a lot of it is being prepared to share the gospel at all times and to be the gospel. And what I mean by that is when a parent just thinks my whole goal is to keep my kids pure, to keep them away from the world's evil, as soon as they encounter that brokenness or 
kids engage in sexual sin, you feel like all is lost, like I failed as a parent. When in reality, you know, what we, we need to be saying is, this is why Jesus died. You know, this is why my kids need more than a great mom and dad. They need a savior. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is why we believe in grace. This is why we believe in confession and forgiveness and why we need the scripture and the Holy Spirit and walking in maturity. And so um, yeah, as our kids are older and we're, we're wrestling through some of these issues, it's honest conversations, it's authentic, authenticity with the ways that we struggle. It's always bringing them back to who is God and what does God say? Uh, and it's unconditional love. It's, you know, all of that. It's living out the gospel. And uh, unfortunately, just the stats I see and the trends I see, that is going to have to be the norm because very few kids are just going to say, well, I kind of skated through that. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I wasn't really impacted by culture or uh, I didn't really fall into that. Mm-hmm. So how do your uh, three sons feel about mom always talking about sexuality? <laughs> <laughs> You know, they, they give me a lot of grief. You, they? <laughs> they tease me a lot, and they, they have fun with it. But I think as they get older, uh, they're appreciating it more. And, you know, they, they realize it takes a lot of courage to talk yeah. about these issues. And yeah. I think in a weird way, they're proud of me. But, um, <laughs> but, it, but it also means, and we talk to them about this a lot, we are always under spiritual attack. Mm. No, you know that in ministry, but when you have a ministry about sexuality, like you're in the devil's playground. So mm. we pray a lot. We talk a lot about just, you know, being, being in, in a spiritual war zone. Uh, and so, you know, that's, that's hard. That's hard for us. It's hard for them. But, uh, but God's grace is good. Mm. And, it's, he, you know, he's bigger than it all. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering as we kind of start to wrap up a little bit, what hope can you give to the women listeners that are listening and thinking, man, I really want to be able to talk about my sexuality like this. Or I really want to be able to enjoy this part of my life, but it still just feels so broken and so shameful. Um, what kind of hope can you offer them as we're kind of wrapping up and thinking what they can do moving forward? Yeah, there's amazing hope because, um, you know, I'm going to turn 50 this year. My husband and I are celebrating our our 25th anniversary. Mm -hmm. And so we've been through a lot. And I'll tell you, into year 10 or year 15, I would be that woman, even though I was a psychologist, I would be that woman that was like, this just isn't great. We don't know how to talk about it. We have all these conflicts. We're dealing with really difficult things in our marriage that are heartbreaking, I don't think there's hope. Mm-hmm. And God opened my eyes to his design for sex and also who he is as a healer uh, around maybe year 10 or 15. Mm-hmm. And I began pursuing that. And I can't tell you the healing God has done and the freedom his truth brings. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wish I could share with you. I mean, we just have like literally hundreds of emails from women, from women just like that, mm-hmm. that felt like there was no hope. They'd never experienced pleasure during sex. They've never been able to talk to their husband about pornography or whatever was killing intimacy in their marriage. And they began, you know, seeking God. Hopefully like our resources are helping women do that and couples do that. 
but they began to see that God's truth, it's real and it's, it, it's life-changing. Uh, it's not just some old book that people disregard. When we take God's word as truth and we start pursuing it and living it, like chains fall off. Mm. And, uh, and again, I wish I could share with you just we consistently hear that testimony. And so there is great hope. You know, God is the healer. He's the redeemer. And, uh, you know, he, he died to give us freedom, real freedom, not just do whatever you want freedom, mm-hmm. but freedom from our shame, freedom from our sin, and freedom from our fears. Yeah. That's, so where can people kind of get involved in your authentic intimacy? Um, and is this something that they can access your resources and start working on their own at home? Or what does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So our website is authenticintimacy.com. And there are a couple of places that I would direct you. You First of all, we have, since people are listening to a podcast, then you're a podcast lover. (laughs) We have a a weekly podcast called Java with Julie. And we record that in a coffee shop. And we just have really honest conversations about all these issues. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of just a weekly discipleship tool. We've got over 200 episodes, so you can dive in and find any topic you'd want to hear about. Awesome. Um, but then, yeah, so that's a great place to start. But also, if you're married, I really recommend the Passion Pursuit Bible Study. Mm-hmm. Um, and do the videos that go with it. Do it with a group of a couple other women so that you have community. But you're, we're going to hit in that, in that study on just God's perspective and all the things that get in the way of what God designed sex in your marriage to be. If you're a single woman, there's a Bible study called Sex and the Single Girl. It's a six-week study. Again, you might want to do with a group of friends. Uh, just understand the purpose of your sexuality as a single woman. So those would be a couple of places to start. That's awesome. There's so many resources for all different stages of life, which is so encouraging. And I love too that you brought up community, that this can also be done in community. This is something that seems so taboo and so isolated, but I love that you pointed that out. Um, Thank you so much for making time for us today and for having this conversation and for being someone who's going out there and talking about this regularly so that we have resources like this. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me on. And thanks. I mean, we just did community right here. So I appreciate it. (laughs) We did. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was great to talk with you. You too. I know you're enjoying this episode. This is Christina Dodson here. And because I know you love talking about the real and the raw stuff, I want to encourage you to check out the Awesome Marriage Podcast for great insights on marriage. Dr. Kim Kimberling hosts the Awesome Marriage Podcast with me. He has been married for over 45 years and has been a marriage counselor for over 35 years. We give real practical marriage advice. We talk about the real and the raw things about marriage and help you right where you are at. Check out the Awesome Marriage Podcast today everywhere you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you want quotes from each episode or want to find and reach out to the awesome people interviewed, please find us on Instagram under at Tales of Moxie and follow us for all the details and for info on who will be on the show in the weeks to come. As always, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email me at talesofmoxie@gmail.com. at gmail.com. I love hearing from you guys. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.